Hi, my name is John Kim, and I'm a therapist who went through his own rebirth. I share my feelings and revelations. I believe in casual or clinical and with you instead of at you. I come unrehearsed on purpose because self-help doesn't have to be so complicated. I'm super excited about today's guest. She's such an inspiration. I remember watching her when I was in my early 20s. This was the 90s. And she broke through and she was breaking stereotypes. And I was watching her. She was performing uh, in San Diego. And uh, I remember she was tatted and just cussing and making fun of her mom. And she was everything that um, a Korean American wasn't supposed to be. And yet she was successful, right? She wasn't a lawyer, doctor, or, you know, um, didn't have uh, a BMW in a corner office. Um, she had jokes. She had authenticity she was raw and so i remember thinking that's amazing because i grew up in the 80s and we didn't have uh, role models you know we had uh um we had kung fu and we had um asian americans just weren't portrayed in media and so she she was one of the first to really break through um and so uh, what an honor and privilege to now be talking to her and interviewing her, it was amazing. So enjoy Margaret Cho. She's also the uh, only guest that I thought about asking if we could do the entire episode in Korean. And of course, 99% of uh, my audience would not understand, but my mom would. And it would be the only piece of content that my mom ever would be able to digest from her son. Of course, that did not work out because I forgot to ask her. Not that she would have... Uh, done that anyway. On top of that, I speak Korean uh, at about a third grade level, so the interview would not have been that interesting. Okay, enjoy Margaret Cho. Okay, so I want to start with an image. Um, imagine a, uh, a, a lake that is uh, covered with ice, and underneath the lake, uh, a lot of Asian people, me included, um, and then <laughs> on top of the ice, I see uh, a lot of people, uh, like mostly Caucasians, media, uh, ice skating. And I feel like um, you were the one of the first to actually break through the ice. Mm -hmm. And and this takes me back to like 20 years ago. I saw you. Um, it was actually a birthday present from my, my girlfriend at the time. And I saw you in San Diego. Oh, wow. Yeah, and I remember um, watching you, and that's kind of how I felt. I was like, wow, here was someone who's breaking through. Um, and it, I, the word that came to me was just uh, uh, courage. I just thought your stuff was so uh, courageous. And that was like, that was so long ago. Yeah. Um, but that was that was kind of my first introduction to you. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's great. That's so great. I'm so glad. Yeah, and then after that, it was, um, I think, or I think you were, I think you had just finished, um, all-American girl. Uh-huh. Yes. Yes. And you were talking about um, that experience. Mm -hmm. And I think you were kind of coming out with uh, just how difficult it was to, you know, um, be in that system and, um, you know, kind of the, the factory of television. What was what was that like for you? Um, if you if you want to talk about it, if you don't, that's okay. Yeah, no, it was a weird time because at that point in television, television was very different then because there was only four channels, and um, the uh, television market was like just very white, and you had a little bit of um, you had a couple of uh, black family shows like, uh, and then you had a little bit of a presence of um, in living color. Uh, and then you had a little bit of like um, family matters and you had like very, I mean, you had some sort of like the history of like Norman Lear programming, but like good times and the Jeffersons, but you didn't have a sense of multiculturalism or any kind of Asian American family ever. So our show right. was this the was first a, time. This was the 90s, right? Yeah, so our show was the first Asian American family on uh, television ever in 1994. And um, and this was a very big deal then. And at that same time, the first uh, sort of big Asian American movie, The Joy Luck Club, uh, was oh, a big right, hit. Right. Um, yeah. And so you sort of thought, oh, well, this is going to mean that um, 
we're going to start seeing more Asian American films and, and television. Uh, and then Mulan uh, was a big hit as well. And you kind of thought, oh, well, this means something, doesn't it? And, you know, uh, we didn't really even know what it meant, but it seemed like um, there might be something, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I, I felt that as uh, someone in college, I was in college during that time. I remember um, watching that show and thinking, oh, my God, this is like they're they're bringing the Cosby show, but for Asians on TV. Right. And I was I was like, I was actually championing it. I also went to high school with John Cho. And I remember. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. And he's someone, you know, that was that was also starting to get out there, too. Yes. Yeah. I love John. I love John. He's so great. And it's it's like, um, yeah, you kind of thought that. And, and there was a sense of that there was going to be. Um, more and more Asian American uh, presence in um, television and movies, and 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 that y you would see more of that. Um, but for some reason, uh, it didn't happen, and I'm not sure exactly why that is or what it is. Even as as TV and mostly TV started to expand, um, and and that we actually had kind of a globalization in film and, and television too that that the market of like TV started to open and films started to open that we started seeing some international stars come over especially like what I remember was Chow Yun Fat oh, right, coming right. over to America to start making yeah. movies and um, and that being a very big or like Ang Lee coming over to start making American movies that was a very big deal too and so you, you started seeing more of that um, and people coming over from India to make movies. Um, but for some reason, that still didn't lend itself to a big sort of Asian-American kind of no. presence. It, it kind of died. I mean, there, there was like the Fast and Furious, but that wasn't I wouldn't say that's an Asian-American. That's more cultural with uh, street drifting and stuff. Yeah. Um, but no, nothing really crossed over. Then it kind of just died. Yeah, it's weird. Like, The Fast and Furious was uh, cool, and then, uh, it, you know, that was, like, it had a couple of stars that came out of that, but then, and then Harold and Kumar, uh, which oh, is right, great, right. too. <laughs> which is, right. that's so, yeah. But that they were um, definitely uh, kind of singular, uh, kind of both, uh, kind of, they lent itself to their own sort of fandoms, yep. in a sense. And then, um, but they didn't uh, become... Um, larger uh kind of, they didn't like right branch onto larger larger events or different series didn't come out of them or you know you, you would think that other projects would would come out of that but for some reason um we didn't see that um and i don't know why uh it's weird so it, it's almost like um that that kind of promise of the continuation of sort of asian american boom didn't happen right or right. something i'm not sure what it is um, do you think that we're getting a second chance? Do you think, well, also television has completely changed now, right? Uh, yes. Television has kind of become the new film. Yes. Um, or, or do you think that, no, it's still, we're still behind. We're still not breaking through the ice. Um, I know like, uh, that big show lost, there was a Korean dude on the Island. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I forgot his name. Daniel, Daniel, thank you. He's great. Yeah, yeah, but yes. you know what's cool about that was he was like a sex symbol, yeah. which was like he was like a hot Korean dude, yeah. which I was like, oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that now I think entertainment has shifted so much in that um, we do have more of a globalized entertainment market. So you have huge fandoms that really encapsulate the world market. So you 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 see um, that uh, like K-pop is huge all over the world. So, you know, when you uh, when you release an album, it's, it's, it's everywhere. You know, when they release a video, like BTS, if they release a song, a video, it's all over the world. And it's, it's major. And so it's more like, I think nowadays, um, like show business is a little bit different. So I think like marketing-wise, it's smart if you, you kind of go, like K-dramas and stuff, I think they know that they have a global market. But I think in, in America, it's a, it's a sort of a different thing. And and, and uh, I, I think we're understanding now uh, how racist the American mind really is. And I think it's, it's almost we're coming to grips with it even this week, oddly. Oh, yeah. You of know, course. like, yeah, it's it's truly remarkable how um, mindlessly racist we are and have been 
for such a long time. And yeah. and truly like coming to terms with it has has been really hard. And and almost like letting go of this racism is like something that the country is unwilling to do. Um right. Right. And and needs a a global pandemic in order to release it's like a it needs this disease to come to terms with it. It's almost like the disease is, is, is enforcing us to face it in a way, which I think is really important. If this is what it takes, then that's the best thing that could come out of it, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, do you think that the, uh, the, uh, the verdict today with the convictions and all that, do you think that is going to change do you think that um, you know with, with with the internet especially because with Rodney King we didn't have the internet, yes. um, and the, the you know this becoming a global thing. Um, do you think this is going to change, or do you think this is basically um, you know history repeating itself and it, and it's not going to change? I would hope that it would change, but the yeah. the way that it, it stands is that um, this is the way that history wouldn't repeat itself, isn't it? The history would repeat itself if we didn't have the kind of technology that we have today and that we, right. we have a way to, this this way to be a witness and the accountability that we've never had um, to witness in a way yes. that we've never had. Yes. So that's important. I mean, well, also like the world can hold hands uh, more so now than ever before, yes. you know, yes. um, and the power of the Internet. Um mm -hmm. That video that was circulated may not have been circulated, obviously, if it wasn't for the Internet. Right. I saw a so I followed you online and I saw uh, you with a motorcycle helmet on and I was like, oh, awesome. She rides. And then I realized that you might have been uh, wearing it for protection as you were out in the streets. Yes. And, uh, well, yeah. both. I was riding and I was um, I was. Also, oh, you were riding. I was riding. Well, I was riding on the back of the bike and I was um, I was riding and also for protection. I left it on just just in case of tear gas and um you know you never know and then uh, no you, i loved it yeah i love it and then also i think um i think like if the protests continue as they have you know you're gonna want to like have a full um body uh situation like the hong kong protesters did which i think is may i don't know if it's gonna be likely but you'll have to you know fully suit up um it's it's pretty crazy out there. I mean, it can it can range from peaceful to violent, as we've seen. Um, yeah, yeah. But it's it's like a really it's a crazy time, you know. And and I think that um, it's made me very uh, wary of of everything. You don't know what's going to happen because people you have to be aware that there still is a big a global pandemic too. Sure, so, sure. Lots of things to be aware it, of. It, it is a crazy time, but you know. Um... I've told everyone, or uh, I feel like this uh, pandemic, even b before all this uh, other stuff happened, uh, it's gonna it, because it's forcing us to sit with ourselves. We're either going to um, it's gonna allow us to harden or soften, and I feel like uh, I feel an, an injection of hope today. I actually think there there's going to be a change. I, I think that uh, this time around, I, I just it just feels different because. Um, well, because of the internet and, and, and how many people are coming together, um, it's not just a, a, a U.S. thing. It's a global thing, you know? Mm -hmm. Yes, it's hopeful. And I think it's also very important. And it's really, it's a long time coming. And I'm really grateful for the technology that we have and um, the knowledge that we have and also the uh, energy and the um, optimism that young people have and the resourcefulness that everybody has shown through all this. So I think it's uh, the resilience too of people. Um, it, it's really shown what's great about everyone and also unfortunately what's terrible about everyone as well. Yeah. Do you um, put pressure on yourself uh, as, a, as an Asian American, as a trailblazer, as someone who, um, you know, as I, as I saw, like broke past the ice, uh, broke stereotypes and all that? Um, do you actually carry a lot of weight? Do you put pressure on yourself to kind of lead? I think it's important to, I am really about, um, I'm an old school, like activist, like I'm an old school, mm -hmm. like lefty. Yeah. I'm very like into marching. I'm very into protest. Like I'm very down with like civil disobedience. Like I really love an old school, like March, uh, it's, you know, definitely it's in my blood, like from San Francisco, from being from the Haight-Ashbury, from being from like 
the queer roots that I'm from, like all of that, like gay pride and punk rock and all of that is very deep to my being. So I, I really belong to that tribe. So it's very important to me to do that. And then, you know, so what I see now is it's really um, a, a very passionate cause and it's very uh, important for me to align myself with Black Lives Matter. I think that it's the, the mistake of my parents' generation to really distance themselves from the African-American community because of their fears of like their own like um, othered, othered being othered from white people, you know, like they're wanting to align themselves with whiteness to, you know, somehow think that that was being upwardly mobile. So that was more of a sense of like, my parents generation i think right right for sure i mean my parents too we we um we came here and we've only had brick and mortar you know little hamburger stands and uh, eventually we bought a popeye's chicken in long beach mm -hmm. and back in the member the um um spike lee um do the right thing yeah. movie with yeah. the segregation between koreans and blacks and all of that mm -hmm. Yeah, and so my my parents' generation, I think with them, it was uh, survival and lots of fear, um, and also lots of racism. Uh, when, we, when we first came to America, I, I mean, I felt that I was only three, yeah. and I felt uh, you know all the like the Disneyland jokes and the eyes being taped back and all of that. Yeah, um, but yeah, our parents definitely did not march, and I mean, they they weren't. I think they were just more wanting to protect themselves and, and be safe. But the the oddness in that we're like living in the same neighborhoods, like we're like mm -hmm. living in a black neighborhood. Why do we somehow feel like we can't be in this community? It's like a very strange thing, like, you know, to right. to to like purposefully seem like we're like leaving ourselves out of the community is is really like an awful thing to feel. You know, yeah. so that's yeah. why I really love the fact that the younger generation of Korean Americans now are very, very much like entrenched in like Koreatown. And the Koreatown of yes. today is so like black and Korean. Like it's really, you know, it's like very, they're very together. They're like families now. Absolutely. And that's why I feel hopeful. I think um, with our parents, um, I, I, I mean, I think our parents were raised, maybe I shouldn't say our, but. My my parents were racist. Yeah, my parents were totally know, racist. But it's a kind totally. of like not. It's it's almost like despite themselves is that, that they were very, uh, very much like wanting to be white. Like they still didn't right, understand right. how much they wanted to be white. That was like yeah. this aspirational thing that they didn't understand. That's what they wanted, but that's what they wanted. Yeah. So well, let me ask you, and, and maybe we could put a bookmark here and jump into a time machine, go into the 80s. So when you were growing up in, in San Francisco, um, was it difficult for you or, or, or was it was it not as far as being a, a Korean American? Like, were you a cool kid or was there bullying? What was it like for you? Oh, there was a lot of bullying because I think that I was such a weird kid. I was such a queer kid and also like awkward and not um a good student not um like particularly uh like not graceful not studious not a good student not like not a categorically like anything like you know when i think if you're a korean kid you have to sort of fit into like a real category or else oh, yeah. there's no oh, yeah. point for you there's no Right, like <laughs> good grades, right? Good grades, yeah. doctor, like all that stuff, right? Like you have to fit into like the stereotype of like what you, what category are you in? Or if you don't fit into these like roles, these archetypes, then you really have have a problem. The, you know, that that's like a not, like if you're unusual, that's really not a good place to be. I just had a revelation. I think that's where I felt the most connected to you. Like sitting 
in the audience, because I'm also a C student and my SAT scores were so low, the uh, you know, principal called me down and asked me if everything's okay at home. Yeah. Um, which I, I don't know if he would have done that if I wasn't Asian. Yeah. But, um, you know, I went, I studied screenwriting. I, I wasn't a doctor. I wasn't a lawyer. I got a divorce. I got into motorcycle. Like, I, I did everything that was honest to me, but that was very not Korean as far right. as, you know. And so I think sitting in the audience and watching you, uh, and I was, I think, in my early 20s, and you had tattoos, and you were cussing, and you were making fun of your mom, and you were doing all these things. I was like, oh my god! Now I can relate to that Korean American. Yeah, I can't. I can't relate to the doctor or engineer or the the Korean that drives the BMW and 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 has a corner office. And so, I think because of that, you almost became a flag. Oh yeah, that's good. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's pretty amazing. Um, but that is a category of Korean. There is a category of Korean that is the kind of the coarseness, the working class. There is right, a, right. There actually is a kind of a rough, coarse Korean, and they usually are the ones that move to China and work on the Yellow Sea. So there mm. is a kind of a category. Right, they usually right, right. They become taxi drivers almost always. Um, is it, are you talking about blue collar or uh, very the, uh, blue collar? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, they, yeah, you, they usually move to China and do some kind of uh, criminal activities, but uh, right, right, they're right. always cool <laughs> as well. <laughs> so, um, when did you know that you were funny? When did you know that um, oh, I could actually do this and I want to pursue it? Um, I think that it was really I de- I don't know. I think that I just enjoy the art form. And I'm never sort of like sure if um, I I don't know. I think I just like it, and I don't. Because I don't, you you I first like studied it. acting, right? I mean, yeah. you went to an art school. Yeah, yeah. I, I went to uh, um, I went to a, a school of the arts in San Francisco, which is a um, like a dance, art, music, drama school. Fame. Yeah. Fame. The TV show, yeah, right? Like fame, like just like <laughs> right, fame. right. And um, I was in drama, and then I uh. I, I did the uh, I was in a class with Sam Rockwell and then they oh, wow. um, teamed us up and we did these shows together at uh, the com- comedy club. And um, so then but I, I, I didn't really uh, I, I didn't really think about it. You know, I just really loved to do it. And I loved comedy itself. Like I loved watching it and I loved SCTV and I just loved it. So just so- it was like the life for me. At, at what point did you um, have that shift and you were, were you actually, because uh, I don't know about you, but for me as a therapist and an author um, and, and as a quote unquote failed screenwriter, um, I didn't have the shift for me. I kind of felt like uh, I was a hack and I write self-help books, but it wasn't until I saw my book at the, uh, at the airport, uh, Miserable Fuck, this year that I mm-hmm. kind of felt some kind of internal shift. For yeah. you, was it like, was it, was it being on stage? Was it, uh, what was it for you? Was it, was it uh, American Girl um, or way before then? I think it was just uh, the act of performing. Like I, I think it was just uh, being on stage and doing it. Like I, I really like to uh, perform and I like to do shows and I think it was just like the early moments of being um, up there and uh, having a full calendar where I was just doing shows every night and um, and I think that's probably the hardest thing about being in quarantine is not doing that not being out and traveling and being on stages like that's a very strange experience too because I've been doing that so much my whole life right where do you get your material do you actually sit down and write stuff or are you just kind of off the cuff sometimes um and then sometimes it's off the cuff sometimes it's um because it's a process of like it's a constant of um doing stuff uh it's always there and it's always growing and it's always part of everything um you know it's 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 everything um you know there's never a time when you're sort of not writing i think let me ask you this as a therapist i'm curious about your um your relationships and one mm-hmm. of the things that that was really cool um and 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 you know especially in the 90s and and for me observing this from from los angeles um you 
I think first you kind of identified as uh, a lesbian and mm-hmm. then bisexual. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know what you are now, but uh, what what has it been? Just the whole the, the whole journey, the the whole the whole uh, spectrum of the rainbow. What 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 has it been like for you? Well, and also I being famous, a, you know. Oh uh, yeah, I'm um, I'm bisexual. I have a uh, I have a part. Most part, I'm dating a guy who's great. Um, he is awesome. <laughs> And then I have a younger girlfriend, but she's too young. She's way too young. I can't mm. go out with her. Wait, I mean, she's great. How old is too young? She's 30. That's too young. 30 is too young. Oh, really? Yeah, that's oh, too young. Oh, I wouldn't think so. Okay. I think okay. that's too I think that's much too young. That's, she's really sweet. But she's really great. Um, but she's too young, I think. And that's, that's uh, it's really funny. But um, I think like 30, I think 40 is too young. Because I'm 51. Wait, so are, are are you also non-monogamous? Yeah, I'm non-monogamous. I don't think monogamy. Oh, okay. is, I don't think monogamy is uh, appropriate. Um, but I, I, I don't think that um, it's bad. But I think it's inappropriate for me. Well, let's expand on that because that's become actually um, monogamy has kind of been on trial. You know, I, yeah. I think with the new gener, there's a lot of talks about open relationships, and I have clients that come to me and they're all interested in what the new bl- blueprint is and stuff. So. Mm-hmm. So you you said um, you think monogamy is inappropriate. So that's that's a powerful statement. What yes. what um let's talk about that. That's really interesting. Well, Why? I think monogamy is inappropriate. Also, I think that um, living uh, for me living with somebody is inappropriate because I I don't think that I uh, <laughs> right. live, live I don't cohabitate well. I don't like live together with anybody well. Um, I've never really been happy living with anybody well. Um, I really am happy living alone and, but I do, fair. I do enjoy, um, my, uh, relationships a lot and I really enjoy, uh, the, the person that I see, um, a lot and, uh, but I, I do like a, like a lot of variety as well. A lot of variety of experience and people. So, you know, it's, I think it's, it's, but it's like, it takes a lot. I think it takes, a, you, you have to be a mature person and you have to like know yourself and also be secure with yourself and communicate a lot about what you need, honestly. Um, well, one of the questions that I get often when it comes to open relationships or, or poly or whatever, non-monogamy is, uh, um, how do you deal with the jealousy? How do you deal with, um, how can you love more than one person? How do you share yourself with one? Yeah, how do you share with yourself? I think part of it is like not living together. That's that's kind of the main thing because I think when you live with somebody, there's a kind of a feeling of like, oh, I have to own that person and every oh, sort of part of them. And yeah, then when you yeah. live with them, there's a kind of thing of like, you're sharing a body somehow. And then um, when you when you share that much of somebody, it's hard for you to think of them like, you know. It's, it's it's that intimacy thing that is like you have to have every part of their being um, mm. when you live apart there's more of a sense of like their freedom is you know the time apart is kind of their own um, and it, you know it, it's like uh, but I, I generally have had um, I think open relationships are they're, they're definitely a little more work but they're worth yeah. it uh, right. I would rather do that um, I, I don't so know. do you do you pick like do you like pick someone who um, say satisfies you sexually and then you pick someone that satisfies your uh, you intellectually and then you have someone else that is like a best friend like do you have a whole box of crayons or do you just um, like whatever whoever you're attracted to you're attracted to I guess whoever I'm attracted to I'm attracted to and then if it comes up it comes up if somebody if somebody come you know usually it's like I don't have that much energy for more than one lover at a time or you know there's that that's that's almost like it's a lot of it's a lot of things to do people to it's a lot of time and a lot of energy oh yeah Yeah. and so then then the question is can you go deep when you go wide meaning when you are um, giving your heart or body or 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 energy to to many people um, how how is it possible to go deeper and experience kind of the high notes of love? I think then it's it's more like it's more um, then it's more of a long term thing. Then it's more mm-hmm. like if you're just yeah you can, it, but it's more like you're you're just taking 
more time and that it's a more of a long-term thing than it's just a few events or, you know, that it's about years with somebody and then it's years over, over, uh, over a long period of time. I think it's like getting to know somebody over a long period of time and, and not, um, allowing the, uh, relationship to have to be defined by anything or not having to call it anything. Um, it's really good that way. I think. Do you think this is going to be the new standard? I don't know, but I, I do find that people nowadays are, uh, very anxious about relationships. They're really like, um, demanding about getting into them like very quickly and also um they have to be right about them very quickly and um i i feel like you know people are like i think there's an urgency to get in them and the, the urgency to get in them fast and right, you know, right. <laughs> it's weird like they're swiping and they're swiping to get in them really fast and i'm like Wait, wait, wait. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of, especially women, um, kind of buying into the whole ticking clock. Uh, 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 you know, you, sh- you should be at a certain age, uh, be married or have kids. The whole picket fence. I think that's still, you know, um, we're still kind of tracing that blueprint from our parents. Yeah, that's definitely a, a real thing. I don't know. I I guess because I haven't ever really thought about things that way. Like I don't know, but. Um, it's it's certainly like a fear a fear that people have that, that or that they there's just a fear like what's this going to lead to like I don't want to put my time into this unless it leads to something but then it's kind of like well why does anything have to lead to anything and what does leading to something like to me leading to anything means death mm. <laughs> right you right. know anything that leads to something else means death so I don't care about a trajectory. <laughs> which 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 by the way is very rare because that's very hard to do i mean you're talking about um you're talking about practicing um being present and not hanging uh your happiness uh on on what could be or a timeline or the future and if if you live your life like that that's that's amazing i mean yeah. that's a lot of a lot of people try to do that uh, but it's very hard to do in our world yeah but that's why nobody likes me that's why it's <laughs> <laughs> that's why. <laughs> that's why you're by you're by yourself. That's why I'm by myself. You're on an island. That's why I only have one, only one boyfriend. But then, it's, but he's great. And that's so. It's kind of like that's the thing of like, um, you know that that kind of thing of when you just want to sort of stay in the moment, and then people kind of like, well, what do you? you uh, uh, they don't know what it means to not put an accelerant on it. They don't know what to do if right. you don't put, if right. you don't put an accelerant on it. Then what is it? what are you doing? And I'm like, I don't know. Do you feel lonely in this world? Do you feel that, um, I mean, from your career to your choices, and now we're talking about uh, not being, you know, having your own place and not wanting to live with someone. um, Is there a part of your world where you feel uh, lonely or no? No, I, I feel really um, full and abundant. You know, there's so much Mm. there. And, and that's really a, a great feeling. Um, but it, it's a, it, it's a really, um, it's really great. You know, that's a really exciting thing. Because uh, you wouldn't think so, but because it's like, oh, well, it's just like 51, I'm alone, I live in this hill, and, I, you know, everything's empty. But it's great, actually. Better than ever. Do you feel that, I mean, because you had success early on, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of pressure. Uh, and I, I think you also mentioned, you went public about uh, during that TV show, uh, the pressures of execs and um, you decided to lose weight and, and, and struggling with all of that stuff uh, or, you know, trying to fit a certain image for television. Um, do you feel that now where you're at, like you've come, you know, you, you've done so much at, at such an early age now, do you feel like... Uh, you want to uh, go back into um, all of that again, different, or are, is your evolution uh, on, on like like different as far as uh, entertainment, comedy, all the stuff that you're doing? 
Um, I would love to do more of that. I mean, I would love to go back into it. It's a different world now. Um, and I would love to go back into it in um, different capacities. But yeah, I think it's great. I think it would be really fulfilling and to come back to it with a different perspective would be really cool. And also come back to it with different people and different ideas. And um, yeah, I would love to. What's some of your uh, greatest revelations from everything you've done? Well, I think the most important thing is uh, knowing that um, when uh, you're um, the, the port, you're when they're trying to do the, you're when they're trying to make a portrait of you, that <laughs> you should just stay stay in the portrait and don't judge it. Don't try oh, to get outside and try try to judge it. Don't try to like tell them how to do it or try to, don't try to like, or not, you know, not to, to uh, stand outside of it and think that it's wrong or whatever. Like, you know, it's like a very weird thing to be like when you, you're, somebody's trying to make a portrait and you're like somehow afraid to pose for it. That's like the thing. Is that what you were doing in your career? Yeah, I think so. It's like, like when you're afraid to pose for your own portrait, if you don't stand still enough, then they're not going to get it. But if you stood still, does that go against your truth? Maybe, but it's almost like they still can't, but they can't get the right image if you don't stand still enough. Right, and you signed up for it yeah. to pose for the portrait. Yeah. So there's a lot of like, things of like you really have to stay still and i wasn't able to do it because i was so scared oh was it because you were scared or was it because you got uh you had success very fast at i a think young age? both i think both i think that there was a lot of things going on but it's like um you know that there's like much more that i could apply to it now much more knowledge that i could apply to it now that i didn't have then what did you learn about um, money? Anything? Um, Any revelations about money? I think that it, it's that it really, um, it really is something that matters less than um, time. Time is more valuable than money, and that that money is something that is like, well, you know, it's something that can be gained and lost, but time can never be regained. But it doesn't seem like you were out buying Ferraris and stuff anyway. It seems like you were helping your parents and yeah. doing good things. Yeah, I mean, that, right. that, but money money was never really the motivator anyway. The motivator. I mean, it right. was very much like, um, I mean, it definitely helped, but mostly, um, I learned mostly about that time was the most valuable thing. How are your relationship with your parents? It's good. Yeah, it's good. And they're, you know, they're like, weirdly, super healthy and super like, even wow. the lockdown, they just are so all they do is they, they live next to a golf course, which is so Korean. Right. So Korean. And Wait, how, how, how old are they? Up. They're 85. Oh, my God. Wow. That's amazing. And they just look. Yeah. And they carry their own golf clubs because they're so cheap. They won't get a caddy. So let me ask you this, because I think, um, so I speak Korean, but it's, you know, uh, I don't know, fourth grade level. And yeah. I know you speak Korean too. And so with your parents, is it, because like with me, I could talk to my parents about the day and, you know, it's like pegopa or what do you want? What, what, are you hungry? But we can't get into like deep conversations. And all my, all my, Mary, all my, uh, my, my friends are like, that's so weird. Like I can't talk to my mom about because um, she doesn't speak English that well. I don't speak Korean that well. So there's like this huge wall. Is that like that with you guys or no? Yeah, because it's um, that they wanted us to not speak Korean because they didn't want us to have an accent because they didn't want foreign mm. kids. Right. Our generation is like really important for us to be really Americanized. Yeah, me too. So, they bought us things. Yeah, yeah, they didn't want us to get picked on. So we had all the cool jeans and yeah. we were like a, a, a liquor store in our house, Twinkies and cereal. And so all the, all the kids uh, whose parents didn't want them to eat the shit came over to our house because our parents thought that's what it was to be American. Very Americanized. So it's like a very, you know, we lack all of the, the FOB-ness. Right, right. But it's sad because we don't have like the nuances. We don't have the subtleties of the language. 
but we have some of it. Like you, if they really, you know, when they get, when you, you, you could understand more than you think. Cause I could really understand a lot. Like if you watched a uh, parasite without the subtitles, you could probably understand. Sure. Yeah. Like you can understand more than you think. Like I, I realized that I can, if you watch more Korean movies without the subtitles, you can understand more than you think. So. Right. Right. Which is really interesting. And, you know, in a way, um, I, I, I think it's it can be a gift uh, because it kind of forces you with your parents to just kind of bring it down to the basics, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> because you yeah. guys can't have conversations where you're going to get, you know, into giant heated arguments about whatever. It's basically like, how are you doing today? What did you eat? Yeah. <laughs> you know, are you happy? And you right. can't get petty about shit. Yeah. <laughs> you can't yeah. like quibble. And it, so that's kind of better. But I do think it's funny because it's like, we just we also stay like kind of infantilized too maybe they did it on purpose it's sort of genius because they kept us small in a way mm-hmm. like because they they couldn't handle us getting like intellectually too large right so that that we didn't we couldn't really fight with them like that that's sort of maybe the intention that was sort of the backfired of like us staying like small for them to like be able to handle us like because they because in Korea they kept them small through like the kind of like generational conflict and like through like um you know that that thing that like the elder generation will always have over the younger generation in Korea but they couldn't have that they would never have that in America so through this they have that with here <laughs> yeah with their kids absolutely yeah. because you didn't go down the traditional path because you um you know, uh, was the black sheep or the, you know, someone that kind of uh, went left. Um, how long did it take your parents to accept that? Or did they accept that right away? Um, they did not accept it. But because I uh, attained uh, success so early, they were able to accept it so fast. Like, it doesn't really matter with Koreans. It's like, as long as you make money, they're fine. You know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. it's like, right, right, right. If, like, yeah, it's very true. If, if you're successful, it's fine. <laughs> so I was pretty successful pretty quickly, so it was fine. And But also with you, didn't your parents own a bookstore and you were doing comedy upstairs? Yeah. So they're... And it, I mean, yeah. Koreans owning bookstores is very rare. That's, That's usually rare. not the case. And it was yeah, a gay yeah, bookstore. Yeah. So that was also weird. Oh, wow. So they already had primer. They were already in that world a little bit. Yeah. They're also a little bit like kind of artsy weird. So there was a little bit of it. It's kind of... It's interesting. So that they had that side to them. So there's a, there's part of it that you know it, it it makes a little sense. But yeah, they they didn't like that I was doing comedy, but they didn't really understand any of it either. They didn't really know. And then, but that I didn't go to school was really hard. Right, but once you started getting paid, they were like, okay, yeah, then it was she's fine. legit. Then, then it's it fine. fine, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, my parents have they have no idea what a therapist is or that I do stuff online. Yeah. But once they yeah. once they realize that I, I'm I'm making money, then yeah, then it's fine. like oh okay, oh, okay. yeah. Like and then they they uh they they tell everyone that I'm a doctor, yeah. which I'm not, right? But um, that's just kind of the go-to. But if they're an author, it's like oh okay, that's great. It's like that. It's all that. that it's, it's like it's it's respectable. That's all that matters. So let's um let's let's kind of uh, talk about the present and future. Uh, what are some of your passions today, and what are you excited about? What are you working on? And 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 what do you, how do you, how do you see your evolution? Well, um, you know, I'm just hopeful for the um the social change and uh, an end to racism as we know it, systemic racism as we know it, an end to police brutality, a, a sense that this um, racist state, uh, a systemic racism will change, um, the internalized racism that we all have um, will be uh, abolished, that we'll actually really start to recognize within ourselves how deep it goes and and be able to deal with it and um, in a way that's really honest and true and, you know, in everyone. And I think that's really deep and I think it's really important. I think that that's really a, a big thing and um, I'm glad for it. I think it's time. Um, Do you think it's going to happen in your lifetime? I hope in our so. Lifetime? I hope so. I would like it to. Um, and I think that it's a it's a good time for it. I mean, why not? Um, 
and I'm willing for it too. I kind of feel like the the uh, the virus, the pandemic, was almost like this strange, like if you look at it from like almost a spiritual lens, it's like a strange um, um, uh, land, uh, like like a runway for this other thing to happen. It almost mm-hmm. like set the tone, or <laughs> it kind of like uh, forced us to to sit still and then really focus on what's happening now, which is yeah. you know. Because I think I think if it wasn't for that, we would all be so busy, and there would be less attention on what's important. There would be less attention on um, these conversations and the protests and all that stuff. Yeah, and I think that's good. I mean, I think that's really good, and I hope that um, we really experience some change. And I wonder what what this tees us up for next. You know, I wonder mm, I wonder what right. this means. Like, why? Why does this cyclically mean, like, because you know, like, there's always meaning behind these events. Like, why do we all have to pay attention at this moment? You know, like, I don't know, the universe always sort of, like, kind of has these reasons of, like, why do we all need to be sort of focused on one thing at one time? You know, and I, I wonder what that means and what that's about. But it's interesting. I also feel I'm a big believer in subtext. I always believe, um, especially as a therapist, you're kind of trained to read what's going on underneath. Mm -hmm. And I feel like there's a lot of subtext happening now. I feel like um, the coronavirus isn't about a virus. It's about things that are underneath. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's it's really um, I think that what it did like the underneath, I think what it did do was reveal how. how racist our society is and how it affects how stress affects us and how it affects us all underneath and how the virus would affect different races differently. Yeah, absolutely. I I think when you're forced to sit still, which, which uh, in our world, we're we're rarely doing that. It's one of the hardest things to do. It instantly brings things up. Mm -hmm. And so if you are choosing to look inward, I mean, there are people coming out of this virus with new careers. There are people who are kind of shaking their life edge a sketch and they, there are people leaving their, their, their marriages. I mean, there's so much change happening and it's because they actually were forced to, to, to look at their life and them, themselves. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And sit with themselves and then. And sit with themselves. Yeah. You know, you had a whole, you know, like a month ago, you had a whole host of people who couldn't do that and they had to storm capitals with, you know which was their way of dealing with it you know what do you think this is all setting us up for what would you like um the next chapter to be as far as what's happening i i mean i i really would i mean i would love to see um some kind of real reform in um the structure of policing and the structure of the way that we go about um, just, you know, like keeping our communities safe and, and keeping our police, you know, safe, I guess, taking care of people safe, you know, like yeah. taking care yeah. of our communities in, in that, like, I think that there's got to be a way to encourage uh, safe for people and safety from police which is really a terrible terrible scary thing like who do you call when the police are not policed like that's you know that's like really scary it's really fucking scary like you call the police on the police it's like really weird and there's this other piece too, which I think is underlining. Um, did you see the video of the 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 girl in New York with the the dog, and then uh, she had her dog off the leash? Oh God, and then, yes, uh, that was awful. So that to me, that is just as terrifying because that represents, you know, like the people that aren't cops and the people that aren't outwardly um, physically violent and racist, but she represented most most people. Yeah. That was awful. And I was like, it was totally awful, but it was so honest. And I was yeah. like, that, like, that's in all of us. And that yeah. was exposed. That was, and I was just like, as bad. That was oh, yeah, just 100%. as bad. That that incident was just as bad as any. As the knee. As the yep. knee. Because it was, I mean, in a, in a way, 
it was worse because it was like this thing of like there was murder in her voice. Like I'm getting murdered right now by this right, black man. Right, right. You need right. to help me. Like it was like yes. this off. I mean, it was like an assassination on the character of black men everywhere. Yeah, for no reason other than he told her to put her dog on a leash, which it wasn't. I mean, exactly, exactly. It's basically her using her privilege. Um, And also, wasn't she like in the corporate world or she was like a a finance person or something? Yeah. Um, But but yeah, that was I mean, you're absolutely right. That was just as terrifying. It was so scary and awful. Like that was so awful. And and people were like laughing like, oh, Karen, like, no. That was fucking <laughs> okay, right. horrible. Right. Like that actually, I I was so upset by that because, I mean, yeah, it's kind of funny, but it's really actually terrifying. Like, it's because that's your neighbor. That's, yeah, that's like that's the person that is you know next to you at Starbucks. That's the person that you work with. Yeah. that you don't really know, you know, and that's why it's scary. Because that's like, that's, that's, um, that's racism in your house. Yeah, that's with like, your friends. Yeah, the yeah. everyday racism that we encounter, that's like the microaggressions that pile right. up, you know, the death by a thousand, ten million paper cuts. cuts. Yeah, the kind, kind yeah. of cuts. It's like a really, um, it's like this sort of benign racism that is constant, but it's, it's not benign. It's, it's, really awful i mean it's really that was really scary and really terrible too yeah and you know she defaulted to fear and that was her um that was her weapon that was uh you know her of trying to protect herself but it was also her truth and so it it exposed who you know the racism inside her very fast it's because she was it's like but why because he's like telling her (laughs) (laughs) right I mean, well, here's the thing. If he was a white guy saying, put your dog on a leash, I mean, it, it would have been a whole different conversation. <laughs> but, it's like, but it wasn't even like fear. It was like, it was just like fear. She defaulted to fear in order to control him because she was pissed because she didn't want to do it. <laughs> well, well, yeah. And what was also funny is she knows he's filming her and she's pretending that he's hurting her but he has it on camera that she's not like wouldn't yeah. you stop like is that that was like I was like okay yeah so anyway. there's so many different layers of shit that you're like doing you know it's like yeah yeah pretending to be afraid to be like controlling to be it's just like oh it's so bad well one of the things um and we kind of end on this i would like uh for uh the evolution is to um, see you on television. And uh, like you said to, uh, you know, when you said the the portrait and sitting still for the portrait while you're painted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be, that would be my favorite if I could just sit still. <laughs> I would, I would love to, I would love to see that. And yeah. I think um, especially because television is, is different and there are so many uh, creative outlets. Um, I would, I'd love to see you yeah. uh, be, be painted again. That would be great. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Well, Margaret, thank you for being so transparent. Thank you for thank you. Um, coming on my show and, and creating a, an important dialogue. Of course. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Where can people find you? They can find me on, um, I am on uh, at Instagram at Margaret underscore Cho. I am on the Twitter at Margaret Cho. I am um, everywhere at Margaret Cho and then uh, online, um, MargaretCho.com. You also have a podcast. Uh, it's The Margaret Show, where uh, you and I did one, too. So, yes. 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 Yeah. yes. Guys, check that out. Um, yeah, her, her stuff is great. Very authentic. Uh, anyway, thank you, Margaret. 